Let's stand up if you would and we'll pray. How's everybody feeling? I hope you're glad you came today. And if not, I hope by the time you leave, you'll be glad. <laughs> just if, if you want to lift your hands, whatever, just to assume kind of a, a posture of openness to the presence of God. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for every person that's here. Thank you for uh, just all the richness of all the blessings that you've brought into our lives. Thank you for the experiences that we have in this life that both bless us and maybe stretch us and cause us to grow. And Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. And once again, we acknowledge you as the spirit of truth. And we thank you for leading us and guiding us into truth. And I ask that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to comprehend. And I pray that you will anoint me to speak truth. Lord, that anything that I say that's of you, let it just have an eternal resonance and impact inside of our lives. Whatever I get wrong, let it just be forgotten and not cause any stumbling. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So uh, I want to... I want to continue along the same lines that we've been looking at for the last few weeks. And really, the, the goal that I have for this message this morning is twofold. I, I want you to, to begin to have, or I, I would like for you and anyone that listens or watches, to be able to leave the experience of hearing this with a deeper sense of awe and appreciation for who you are as a human being made in the image of God. <laughs> and also, my hope is to open up a, a pathway or a gateway for you to have experience. And I think experience is so important. And I think in some ways, we have a tendency when it comes to the things of God to devalue, depending on where we come from, depending on our background, depending on what uh, our belief system is about this creator that we have. <laughs> we either highly value our experience or we tend to devalue our experience. As a general rule, in Western Christianity as a whole, we have a tendency to devalue our experience. For example, when I was much younger, uh, it was so funny. I, I had a guy um, comment on a message that I did a few weeks ago. Uh, from somewhere, I don't know. Uh, it was on the YouTube page. And one of these fellow believers that just was out to bless me. <laughs> and he just had a fit of carnality right there on the YouTube page. And he said, You are a heretic and you're misrepresenting truth and you're twisting scripture, whatever. I thought about it. I wasn't going to comment. And then I thought, you know, I used to think just like that. Like like if you could have took the younger me and fast-forwarded me in time 10, 15 years to listen to myself now, I would have thought the same thing. <laughs> I would have written that to myself. So I just thought, well, you know, I mean, that is true. So I just replied and I commented. I said, I and I guess it's public. So he, he goes by Pastor Steve. That's his handle on Google or YouTube or whatever. And so I, I just replied, I said, Pastor Steve, I said, my younger self totally agrees with you. <laughs> that was all I said with a smiley face. <laughs> so I am encouraged by that because I think it represents growth. Uh, 
I think in a lot of circles and a lot of places, people are afraid of people growing. Because if you grow, you might outgrow the belief system that you had before. And if our existence as a community depends financially upon you agreeing with those belief systems, then we want to keep you locked into those belief systems because that's what gives us community, that's what gives us meaning, and that basically that's what keeps you coming. (laughs) And heaven forbid, if you're leading something like that, that you have any growth or change in your belief system at all. And and it's interesting because not everybody thinks like this. Not everybody thinks that it's good to stay in a certain let's say, philosophical box. In fact, I would reckon that if you took that same logic and apply it to any other area of your life, you wouldn't do it. And if you did, maybe you'd need to go check yourself into for a psychiatric evaluation. Here's what I mean. We have allowed for humanity to progress in every situation of thought, philosophy, experience in life, except maybe when it comes to how we relate to God. Here's what I mean by that. I hope, I really, really hope, if you get sick, let's let's go from the most extreme, let's say that you get a cancer diagnosis, Let's say that you have a heart blockage, but let's let's go even to the most basic or the most simple. You have strep throat and you need an antibiotic. I would really hope that you would not depend on medical practices that are even 200 years old. I was amazed when we went to Washington, D.C. many, many years ago, and we went and toured... Um, George Washington's place or whatever, and they were, huh? Mar- what, what, nah, anyway, whatever it's called. And and um, and we're learning about George Washington. And I think I learned this in school because somewhere it triggered a memory. But I was shocked to find out that he died from strep throat. He died from strep throat. And you know what the treatment was for strep throat in George Washington's day? Now, granted, he's the president of the United States. He's, at that moment, you know... Right, so hopefully he's getting the best treatment available. Is that, is that reasonable to assume? You know what they were doing? They were bleeding him. Now, we know now that you have white blood cells that actually help fight off infection. So if you want the worst possible treatment for strep throat, you should probably bleed out. I'm just saying. So I would hope, I would genuinely hope that you would understand that humanity has made progress in the last 200 years. Humanity has made amazing medical progress in the last 200 years. And if you had strep throat, you wouldn't go let somebody operate on you based on thinking that's 200 years old. You wouldn't let them just cut you and bleed you out and take your immune system away from you to, to fight. I, I would hope that you would go take an antibiotic. They're cheap. Everybody makes them. I mean, you still have to have a prescription to get them unless you go to Mexico. And, you know, if you take a Mexican vacation or something, if you trust that stuff, you can go buy it over the counter. And then you got some on hand. 
Hallelujah. Are you breathing? I would hope if you wanted to... Now, now, you know, if you have a heart problem, let's come back to that. If you have cancer, I would hope for you that you could find the most cutting edge research procedure doctor whatever because you're acknowledging that humanity has the ability to make progress and that that progress is in a positive trajectory toward stuff i would hope i would really hope if you want to take a vacation this summer doesn't matter where you want to go I would really hope that if it's a road trip, you would get in your car and drive. I'd really hope that if you want to fly someplace and you have the money, that you would take a commercial flight and get there faster so you have more time to enjoy your destination. I would genuinely believe that you would not get on a horse or connect it to a wagon and have it take you to your destination. I would hope that. Now, yeah. Now, why is that? Why would you do those? Why do you do those things? Why do you do those things? Because they're available, but also you have to acknowledge that humanity has made progress. All on a positive trajectory. And in order for any of that progress to happen, belief systems had to change. In fact, those that fought progress were were those who didn't want their belief systems challenged. I mean, the most classic example for us, right? The most classic example is Galileo who said that the... Earth was not the center of the universe and the sun wasn't moving around the earth, but the earth was moving around the sun. And who was the, who are the ones that challenged that progress? It was the church. And why? Because somewhere in Psalms, in the book of Psalms, it says that the sun rises and sets like a chariot going across the sky. And so it was a threat. And so if, if I remember my history correctly, I hadn't planned on using this illustration, so I didn't look it up. So forgive me if I get it wrong. But if I remember correctly, Galileo said, okay, fine, I'll sign wherever, because they were going to kill him. This, this entity, this institution that represents who Jesus is and represents his teachings of love and compassion and love for enemy and love for neighbor, they were going to kill him. And Galileo decided the trajectory of the earth around the sun is not worth being a martyr over. (laughs) So he said, okay, that's not true or whatever. But here's my question. Who was right? Unless you're a flat earther, and if you're a flat earther, I, I just... I don't even know what to do with that. And I apologize if you are. I'm not, I'm ignorant about it. I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you and find out how you know the earth is flat. 
I couldn't hear you. <laughs> Tell them not to go on a road trip if they're a flat earther. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. I'm just saying, as a general rule, like, like, who was right? The church? Galileo was right. Even though he was going against the grain of popular opinion. So here's my point. All progress that is made in humanity is can only happen when we allow an old belief system, an old philosophy to be challenged by new insights. And when those new insights show up, we go through a bit of a crisis because we have to decide, are we going to cling to the old or are we going to embrace the new? So here's the present tense problem, at least how I see it, in faith. We're afraid of progress. Now, if we are discovering the riches of this physical world. And by that, what I mean is, you know, when um, whenever they discover a vaccination, whenever they discover a cure, whenever they discover a better treatment, it was there all along. Ben Franklin didn't invent electricity. He discovered electricity. It, it was there. One of the basics of science, nothing can be created or destroyed. It can only change form, right? So you're not creating anything. You're just discovering something that you didn't know was there before. You're accessing it and putting it into practice, right? If you Interesting thing. If you study anything about the life of Nikola Tesla, you, you can discover that we've been, we've had the technology for free energy since Edison. And if you really dig deeply into it, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist really, I'm really not, but if you look at it, people who have tried to develop and make free energy available die these really strange deaths and their records and everything just kind of disappears. Why? Because there are very powerful people who are making billions of dollars off of fossil fuels. You think they have any interest in free energy? And they have the power to, that doesn't make them right. So if we can discover these things in this physical world in which we live, the Apostle Paul talks in the Bible about the unsearchable riches of Christ. I was just reading it in Colossians chapter 2 verse 2. It says that in, he, he says that his ministry was to, for everyone to know the fellowship of the mystery. Everybody would just say that word with me, fellowship. The, the fellowship of the mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, if something has been hidden, it requires discovering. So how is it 
How is it, saints, that Paul can speak of the riches of wisdom and knowledge and the depths of the riches of the mystery of Christ? And somehow the church was so able to discover the fullness of it that they codified it in creeds and church councils, and that became the beginning and the ending of all of it. How is that? How is it? I mean, surely there's there's more riches and mystery and secrets and wisdom and knowledge hidden within the mystery of Christ than within the mystery of our own planet. And yet, we're still discovering things all the time, and yet, somehow, the Alpha and the Omega of truth was codified for us at the Council of Nicaea in 312, and various different... So much so that if anybody suggests anything that's outside of that codification, they are labeled a... Say it with me. Heretic. Incidentally, the Council of Nicaea was not called together because they wanted to discover truth about who Christ was. It was because the emperor had decided, I don't want to go into all the history of it, but the emperor had decided that he could, uh, that there was an uprising called the Aryan Uprising. There was, uh, he was trying to, eh, put down an uprising in one of the provinces. So he calls together all the bishops. Now, you're smart enough to know, politically, if you want to put down an uprising, which side do you pick on? The side with the least resistance. Right? So you bring together the majority of people who disagree to have a council to decide what's true so you can put down the what? The minority. Is the majority always right? That's what happened. Look it up. And then, you know, uh, it's interesting that what gets left out of the creeds is, is the entire ethic of what Jesus taught. Jesus taught, love your enemy. Jesus taught, love your neighbor. Jesus taught, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus taught, uh, really, I mean, you can make a good case that Jesus taught passivity, um, turning it, turning the other cheek. Uh, he who lives by the sword shall what? Die by the sword. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. Right? Interesting how none of that stuff made it into any of the creeds or the church councils. You know why? Because if you disagreed with the creed, they were going to kill you. And it's kind of hard to have love for enemy and love for neighbor in the creed when you're going to kill the people that don't agree with the creed. (laughs) Or force them into submission. Oh, and don't think the Protestants were any better. You need to look at the life of John Calvin and how many people he had killed because he disagreed with Hmm. It's true. Of course, for Calvin, it was easy because, you know, you were born, your lot in life was predestined. 
It's all on the back of Calvinism. It was easy to maintain slavery in America because even though your document, your founding document says we believe that all men were created equal with certain unalienable rights to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Yet you still uphold for economic reasons slavery. You have a real contradiction. But when you consider that most of the settlers to the new world came from a Calvinistic tradition and God predestined, then what happened was Christianity developed its own caste system. You know what a caste system is from India, right? Or you're born an untouchable because of something you did in the last life and you can't get outside of fate and so we have this whole Calvinistic thing. And heaven forbid you deviate from something that they said. Because, you know, this is the rock of our salvation. We say it's Christ, but in Christ is the unsearchable riches. But what they really care about is the codification that you agree with their belief system. So if you're stuck in the same belief system, see, if, if medicine was stuck in the same belief system that it was stuck in two, just two centuries ago, where would we be today? We'd all still be getting bled out for and dying a strep throat. It took intellectual progress. It took discovery. And you know what else it took? It took validating and verifying those discoveries by experience. It took someone being willing to venture outside. It took someone willing to leave the pack, someone who was willing to think differently, but not just think differently for the sake of thinking differently and not just leaving the pack for the sake of leaving the pack, but but somebody with new insights, somebody with a new idea, somebody with something, and then the ability to go out and validate what they are thinking and feeling by their own experience to find out whether or not the proof is in the pudding. We really have to appreciate the system in which we exist Paul said the love of money is the root of all evil, right? So we really have to appreciate the fact that free energy isn't available today, not because the technology doesn't exist, but because it's free. We really have to appreciate the fact that even though our founding documents that we believe in all men created equal with certain unalienable rights, and yet we alienate not just not just African Americans, but Native Americans. Anybody that got in the way of progress. And all of it was based on economic factors, wealth, power, and control. 
So even though we have this great idea to create a nation where everybody's free to pursue their life and freedom and happiness, the economic power structures prevent us from making that dream available to everyone. And our religion, because if God did it, how do we understand God? Well, God predestined some for this and some for this, and so who are we to challenge God? Do you see the contradiction? So why is it that we expect to make progress in all these other areas of our lives and we enter into the experiences that that progress makes available to us? But when it comes to the issue of God and it comes to the issue of Christ, we really aren't open to new ideas and new discoveries and fresh insights because we had it all figured out in the 4th century. We had it all figured out in the Reformation. We had it all figured out in the Charismatic Movement. Take your pick. Is your spiritual life that unimportant to you? Certainly your physical life isn't, or you would go get bled when you had strep throat instead of taking... You get cancer. Don't, don't, don't try to figure out the most cutting edge treatments for that because that would require new ideas and new insights and people that maybe didn't go along to get along. Heaven forbid you get on an airplane to get somewhere quicker. Who are you, a human being, to act like a bird? I'm off my message. This isn't where I plan on this going this morning, but do you get it? So why don't we, is, is your spiritual life that unimportant to you? Is discovering the riches of Christ that despised by you? That you don't expect and demand or even think that humanity, people engaging with the mystery of Christ, could make progress past the group consensus? And are we so blind that we can't see that the group consensus has to feed itself in order to exist? Let's have church so you can come to church. And make sure you come to church so we can have church. I say that again. Let's have church so you can come to church and make sure you come to church so we can have church. And it costs money to have church, which is why we always take an offering. And heaven forbid our quote-unquote followers Leave the group, especially if they're givers. <laughs> so we better make sure we don't rock the boat. 
We better make sure we maintain because we're maintaining church. We're having church so you can come to church and we want you to come to church so we can have church so we have a vested interest in maintaining. Roger reminded me recently of something I was preaching years ago that I'd kind of forgotten about, but I don't remember who said the quote. But if you think about it, if you if you watch the progress of Christianity, because remember, Paul talked about what? The fellowship of the mystery. Everybody say it with me. Just the fellowship, the fellowship of the mystery. He talked about that in Colossians 2. We'll look at it in a second. It started out, Christianity started out in Palestine as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and it became a philosophy. It moved to Rome and it became an empire. It moved to America and it became a business. A business. And when a body becomes a business, Robert Kraft ends up with charges for soliciting prostitution. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if you saw that in the news recently, but far be it for me, a Bronco fan, to not take shots at the New England Patriots. If I have the opportunity, I knew I could get Started in Palestine as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and it became a philosophy. It moved to Rome and it became an empire. It moved to the United States and it became a business. And when a body becomes a business, we call it prostitution. Sorry. So if we come back, if we come back, let's let's go to our text. You didn't even know I had one. Colossians 2. I won't keep you as long today. I just want you to think about it. Why don't you demand progress? Why do we put up with the same old thing week in and week out in our lives and call it orthodoxy? One of my friends was sharing some some ideas, concepts, revelation on Facebook. And uh, one of these guys comes out of the woodwork and says, Well, I hold to all the councils and the creeds of the church. He accused my friend. He said, You're committing generational arrogance because you think you know more than the church fathers in the third century. Apply that logic to medicine. Apply that logic to transportation. This person certainly wasn't applying that logic because they were commenting on Facebook. But for some reason, if we're making progress, like, do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, it's like we want to, to make progress in every area of life except that one. And then we want to just stay stunted and we want to make sure that we, we keep our, our standing within the group. 
Colossians 2, it's what I've been quoting to you. Paul says, uh, in verse 1, he says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, he's not saying be bound together by intellectual agreement and philosophy. He's saying be bound together in love. And as you're exploring the depths of the riches of Christ, let your hearts be at peace. Let them have full assurance as you engage the mystery of God in Christ. For in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then watch the next part of what he says. Now this I say, lest anyone deceive you with persuasive words. And then he goes down in verse 8 and he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, And you are complete in Him. In other words, in other words, man, what Paul's doing here is radical because what he's saying is he's saying, let love keep you together in community and have the assurance and the freedom to know that you are complete in Christ. And from that area of completeness, you can engage the depths of the treasures of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge that is hidden in Christ that has yet to be discovered. In other words, he's setting them free to experience and discover Christ for themselves. And so let me ask you this question, saints. Are you engaging the reality of Christ and discovering Christ, or have you been cheated out of that reward through some kind of philosophy or empty deceit that depends on the traditions of man and is not anchored in who Christ is? Because the truth is, is that what we are asked to do is to buy into a philosophy regardless of what we experience. And if our experience comes into conflict with our philosophy, we are told to renounce and deny our experience and come back into agreement with the group consensus and the traditions that we've held for centuries. That's what we're told to do. So Galileo, he's saying the earth, the sun isn't moving around the earth. The earth is moving around the sun. No, 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 no. For thousands of years, we've said this. No, no, no. We said the earth is the center. Man is the center. The, the, the sun, the sun is going across the sky. It's, it's written right here in scripture. You can't, you can't go by your experience. You have to renounce your experience and come back over here and make sure you go with this. When was the last time, other than here, frankly, that you went to any Christian anything, read any kind of Christian book, listened to any kind of Christian program, and they said, you know what? Christ is in you. He wants to be discovered 
There's riches and there's wealth there, and you can experience it for yourself. You don't need us. You don't need a creed. You don't need a doctrinal statement. You don't need a church membership. You don't need to do all this stuff. You don't need to go to seven steps to answer prayer and 12 steps to a better marriage and 15 steps to becoming a better husband or wife and 32 steps to sanctification. And No, you're complete. It's in you. Go explore that realm. Go discover that realm and validate through your experience so that you know for yourself and you're not just going along to get along with what the group has always said. Go for it. No, no. Oh, brother, you can't trust your experience. Oh, brother, there's lots of stuff out there that will mislead you and mess you up and destroy your life. You know what? The Bible says this. Taste and see that the Lord, He is good. And blessed are all those who trust in Him. That probably implies that you're going to taste and see that some other stuff ain't so good. Either way, don't be afraid to taste. How do you know the Lord's good unless you've tasted Him and experienced Him? But how do you know He's good, listen listen to me, if you haven't also tasted something bad and had to spit it out? Because good is on a polarization. You cannot know good without also knowing evil, just like you cannot know light without knowing darkness. You cannot know hot without knowing cold. You cannot know up without knowing down. You cannot know left without knowing right. You cannot know good without knowing evil. So how are you supposed to taste and see that the Lord, he is good, unless you've also tasted and seen that something wasn't? So the point is not to isolate you. My God, you realize God put Adam in the tree, in the garden with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And do you realize that when Adam ate of it, God said, oh no, he's become like one of us. Which means God himself. And the word for know there is the same word. Adam knew Eve and she conceived. It's to know by experience. He's become like one of us. Who knows by experience good and evil? I'll let you figure out what that means. So here's what I'm saying, saints. Are you content to stay in the boat and agree with things you really can't prove? I mean, can you prove other than in the Bible that there was a place called the Garden of Eden? Can you prove for yourself other than in the Bible that there was Adam and Eve? Or that the earth is 6,000 years old? And what do you do? What do you do? What do you do with the geological, archaeological evidence that says, the astronomical evidence that says that the earth is 3.9 billion years old? What do you do with evidence that says that humanity has existed for 250,000 years? What do you do with the Neanderthals? 
oh, we just don't listen to any of that because, you know, we got to stick with our traditions. Well, then go get bled next time you have strep throat. Just be consistent. That's all I'm asking is that you just be consistent. And what do you do when all the archaeological evidence contradicts this? I think, oh my God, no, we, we have to stand by this story. There was uh, two naked vegans hanging out in a garden. <laughs> is it possible? Is it possible? Is it possible? That God really wasn't trying to inspire that scripture so that you knew who your great 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 that he crafted a story that represents all of us, that was meant to speak to you at a deeper place than just your intellectual curiosity about the origins of man. And is it possible that that's actually what the authors themselves understood and intended? And is it possible that a culture that came out of the Egyptian culture that built the Sphinx, that built the pyramids, that understood astrological times and seasons better than even modern man, or we're discovering things that validate things that were in their tablets thousands of years ago, is it possible they were more intelligent than you give them credit for being? And is it possible that they had a little more depth than maybe you think they did? And is it possible that maybe they really didn't believe literally that you had two naked vegans walking around in a garden talking to a snake because maybe they got a bad mushroom? I'm not trying to trample on your traditions. I'm trying to liberate your traditions. I'm trying to say you don't have to be afraid of science. You don't have to be afraid of progress. You, you, don't, have to be, you, you don't have to be afraid of, of, of experience. Because when you say we're not going to believe science and we're going to be suspicious of all that because bless God, God made the earth in six to 24 hour days. Never mind the fact that the sun, moon and stars don't come along until like the fourth day. But whatever. And forget all that because we have our traditions. What? You see what you're doing? You're, you're subconsciously programmed not to trust growth, not to trust progress, not to trust experience. And so you stay spiritually immature. And there's a bunch of baby Christians relating to God like, like, like babies. Daddy, who, who, father, wh- what job do I take? Father, who, who do I marry? Father, where do I go here? Father, what do I do? And I, and I just gotta be an obedient little child, not realizing that that is a perpetual state of immaturity. And that actually in the Greek language what it says is that creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And the term there for son is a son that's reached at least 30 years old and is now able to take over the father's business, which means he's not having to ask the father about every decision that he's going to make, but he's willing to assume some responsibility to begin manifesting things for himself. But you cannot grow to that level of maturity if you won't make progress 
and change in terms of the way you think, the way you feel, the way you talk, and the way you act when it comes to your relationship with Christ. So what happens? So what happens if we say, I don't have to believe, I don't have to believe anything that I can't experience? So what happens if, if for myself I experience that when I retaliate against someone for something and I speak evil about them, if I pay attention to my experience, I discover that that really doesn't feel very good. It might feel powerful in the moment, but it doesn't bring bliss. But when I love somebody... When I do something good for somebody, when I do something charitable, when I help someone out, there's just this lift that comes to my soul. Can you tell me you haven't experienced that? Have you never experienced that? So can't you know by experience that maybe bad-mouthing somebody isn't the best prescription for happiness and that perhaps loving people might lift your soul to a place that it hasn't been before? Do you really have to wallow around in shame and guilt and condemnation for all this stuff? that you did and self-hatred to realize that maybe shame and guilt and condemnation and self-hatred, maybe you taste that and realize, oh, this isn't really exactly good or blissful. And, and why can't you learn that by experience and then realize that if I forgive myself, if I let myself off the hook, if I accept myself with my flaws, if I accept myself with my humanity, if I accept myself that because, yes, I'm part of a race, see, I'm back to Adam and Eve, that I myself have eaten at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and so I have assimilated some evil, and I have assimilated some good, and I'm just a synthesis of the two... And the whole point of the gospel is that God accepts me in that. And the whole point of the cross is that Jesus can forgive me. Uh, and I can find grace and freedom and hope and peace and all that stuff. And why can't I go out and experience that and say, wow, this feels really good. It feels good to forgive myself. It, it, it feels good to love myself. It, 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 peace is so much better than conflict and strife and turmoil. Why, why can't I just experience that for myself? Because then once I've experienced that for myself, you know what I've done? I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord, He is good. And that's the beginning of all faith. Faith does not begin because I joined the group consensus and the philosophy that's been perpetuated by the traditions of men and the basic principles of this world that is simply cheating me of the reward of experiencing Christ for myself. That faith begins when I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord, He is good. I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord, He is good. I have experienced it for myself. I've come into contact with something that has totally changed and transformed my life. And it is good. And now I have something that I can begin to build my faith from. I can begin to trust, not because I'm believing something someone said 2,000 years ago ago, and not because I'm joining a group consensus, and not because I have stunted my own spiritual progress by not demanding that humanity move on an upward trajectory into the heights of God, but somehow buying a lie perpetuated really as much by political powers as religious powers, that things are just going to get worse and worse and somehow keep you focused on someone's agenda in the Middle East when you don't even live in the Middle East, but somehow you think God's timetable is Jerusalem. Um, somehow God's timetable is Jerusalem. And s- then, I can't say it. It's too controversial. 
You understand what I'm saying? It's just getting worse and worse and worse, and they just keep pushing your buttons to get you to the voting booth to vote for them. I don't know how I got off on that. I really don't know what my point was there. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, what, what, what Paul's doing, the fellowship of the mystery, that, that means that you participate. Taste and see that the Lord, He is good. That means that you experience God for yourself. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means you don't have to look outside yourself for a Savior or a Messiah. The Savior and Messiah is inside you. The tree of life is within you. The nature of Christ is buried and hidden inside of you. If Christ is inside of you, then inside of you is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you know what? Go out and experience yourself. Go out and get to know yourself. Go out and experience and find out for yourself. And then when you have that experience, they can't take it away from you. You're not dependent on people that you've never met or biblical prophecies that haven't come to pass decade after decade after decade. They they keep the same prophecies. They just keep changing the newspapers. I mean, in the 80s, no kidding, you've heard me say this. When I was a kid, Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist because he had six letters in each one of his name, Ronald Wilson Reagan. And when he got shot, but James Brady was the, the, the head of the dragon that, that, that died and raised again from the book of Revelation. And those, those folks are all gone. And so, so here comes Saddam Hussein, the rise of Babylon. And the, and the Gulf War is going to lead to a, it's a peace treaty. And then that comes and goes. And so then we have the war on terror. And so they recycle the same book, only they change characters. But you've got to trust that. Even though my experience time and again and again and again and again and again proves that it is an absolute falsehood, an absolute lie. It's an absolute lie. Ronald Reagan wasn't the Antichrist. Barack Obama wasn't the Antichrist. I uh, hate to disappoint some of you on the liberal side. Donald Trump probably isn't the Antichrist. And those of you on the right, he ain't the Savior either. But we keep buying into this stuff. And so I'm just saying, just just be free. Be free to know. Be free to experience. Be free to try new things. And if you get yourself in a pickle, if you got yourself in it, you can probably get yourself out of it. <laughs> and you don't have to believe everything you think. Do do some spiritual research. Check it out. Validate it by your experience. If you're in meditation and some angel comes to you and says, some angel comes to you and quotes scripture and says, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, chop it off. And you're a, you're a teenager with a pornography problem. Oh, we don't talk about that, but. And that angel says, you know, you've been doing all this stuff you're ashamed of. Here's the solution. You don't have to go out and gouge your eye and cut off your hand. And if you do, you're probably going to find out 
That ain't so good. So if that same angel shows up again and says, move to Alaska, and you don't like the cold, you have to say, oh, yes, but the angel Gabriel said, move to Alaska. I have some purpose and destiny in Alaska. Man, I hate the cold. I don't, I like night and day. I don't want 24 hour sunrise and not be able to sleep and have insomnia in the summer. And I sure as hell don't want almost 24 hours of darkness in the winter where I've got to have my own heat lamp and take massive doses of vitamin D just so I don't want to kill myself from depression and vitamin D deficiency. All right. Love, we love you in Alaska. It's just not for me. So any being, preacher, prophecy, angel, Jesus, anybody says move to Alaska, uh-uh. <laughs> Got it? That's actually maturity. Immaturity is daddy, where do I, daddy, where do I live? Father, where do I live? Angels, where do I live? Jesus, where do I go? All right. Not saying you don't take counsel. Just saying that you keep yourself at the point of cause and responsibility for every choice you make. And as long as you do that, you can't be misled unless you choose to be. And gang, even if you're misled, even if the one sheep wanders off... What does it say that he does? He leaves the 99 to go after the one. Not so you can pay your tithe. All right. (laughs) Are you breathing? You doing all right? All right, let's stand up. Some of you maybe never had freedom to experience the reality of who Christ is in you. Some of you have so much self-doubt and some of that perpetuated because you've heard over and over and over again sin consciousness, sin preaching, how bad you are, how corrupt you are, how you're not doing the do's and not, and, or how you're doing the don'ts and not doing the do's and not paying your dues and, and whatever. So you don't trust. But let me tell you something. There is a divine spark inside of each one of you. There is a reality of Christ inside of each one of you. There's a fellowship of a mystery that you and I have been invited to participate in. Why in the world would the Bible invite us to look within for Christ? Why in the world would Paul invite us to explore the fellowship of the mystery if we didn't have the right to it and we didn't have the ability to experience it? It makes no sense. So you can affirm to yourself, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've done, I don't care how much you've sinned or blown it or messed up, I don't care what's going on in your life, I don't care what you've come out of, you have the right to tap into the mystery of who Christ is inside of you. You have the right to the fellowship of the mystery if you can just believe it for a moment. If you can just believe it, God is not far out, God is closer to you than you are to yourself every moment of your life. Close your eyes with me, saints. Allow 
the wings of your soul to unfurl and take flight. Can you feel the presence of God? That's an experience. Man, all kinds of stuff is shifting right now. All kinds of stuff getting stirred up inside you. Just be in this moment right now. There, there's something on the music right now, just an anointing. Bring it up just a little bit. Let this fill place. Let that anointing. Let it minister to your soul. You can be free. You can be free. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the Lord, and your righteousness comes from Him. You're free. You're loved. You're valuable. have a light within you. It's the light of Christ. Taste and see that the Lord, He is good. And blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. Father, we thank you for the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. Wash over us and heal us. Wash over us and liberate us. Wash over us and give us peace. In Jesus' name.
If you need prayer for healing this morning, there is really a healing presence. We'll have um, some of our people up front to pray for you. Um, I would ask, because there is such a presence of the Lord, that if you want to fellowship, if you could take it outside of the sanctuary, that would be awesome. So if you want to talk and hang out, whatever. But those that want to receive prayer for healing, if you need healing in your physical body, anywhere, if you need healing emotionally, anywhere, um, feel free to come up front for that. Maybe it's marriage that's in trouble or whatever it could be. Thank you, Lord. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Have fun doing your spiritual research, exploring Christ within you. And hopefully we'll see you next week. God bless you.